0: Good to be with you. You can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, if you're not familiar, is a letter written by a guy named Paul who had hated Jesus and then Jesus met him and he began to serve Jesus instead. He began to travel around and found Christian communities and do everything he could to help them grow and write letters back to them to help them with issues they were dealing with. And this is one of those letters that he wrote. We're going to look at chapter four. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Pray for our friends near and far, Lord, today, joining us in spirit. We pray you be with us here as we're gathered. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are present with us in your word, Lord. And we pray today you would give us ears to hear all that we need to hear and you would feed us with all that we need to eat and you would strengthen us, Lord, with everything we need to uh, live the day that we have to live today, to live the days that we have to live this week, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's read starting in chapter 4. Verse 1, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. Not a great verse. It's a great verse. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So to pause for a second, as I had just said, Paul himself, the man writing this, had experienced a total life change after Jesus confronted him that day as he was riding his horse up to the city of Damascus. And it meant that now he gave his time to serving God and spreading the message of Jesus. That's what he was about now. Now, if you know the story of Paul, you know that not everyone listened everywhere he went and told them. Uh, Not everyone saw the things that Paul was trying to say. That's part of what he's talking about here in this passage. But of course, a lot of people did, right? Uh, And that's why he kept going. God kept using him. But then in verse 7 here of this passage, Paul makes the point that when he gave his life to serve God, it didn't transform him into a rock star. He was still just him. With all his shortcomings and his pretty unimpressive, unimportant status that he actually had in the world, right? Look at verse 7. He said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Your Bible might say clay pots, another famous famous verse, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So verse 7, the things that we have to say, the truths about Jesus, the experience of God in our hearts, these things are total treasures. If you've experienced them, if you've encountered God in the gospel, you know exactly what Paul's talking about. But God puts those treasures in Clay pots in earthen vessels, right? People who who don't look that impressive. Just like Jesus, who didn't really look that impressive. And God does it this way, according to verse 7, so that when people encounter the glory of God, they don't misinterpret it, their experience and think that we're awesome. When people encounter God because of the things that we have done or said. People don't misinterpret that experience and think, "Man, that is the most amazing person I've ever met." Right? They get it. They get that it's it's God who's awesome and not us. And sometimes we probably wish that God would make us a little bit more awesome. It seems like that would make our lives a little easier. But God has reasons for why he didn't make us awesome. Right? And then in the next few verses, Paul describes what it's actually like for him to serve God. And the things that he says have some important things for us to remember as we move into 2021. Big stuff, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, Paul says, death is working in us, but life in you. So the us there, speaking about Paul and the people he's traveling with, and uh, who, you know, he's writing the letter, and the you speaking about the church in Corinth. This kind of passage is actually common in Paul's writings in the New Testament. If you've read them, you're familiar with them. Paul was very clear about the kind of difficulties that he faced in his life, and he didn't shy away from telling people about them. For instance, in chapter 6 of this letter, he says this: In all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, which is probably like riots, right? In labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Paul wrote these kind of lists out about what he was going through. In chapter 11 of the same letter, he says this: Are others ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, Perils is dangers, right? In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And you read things like that. And on one, thing, on one hand, I think you just say, that sounds horrible, That sounds horrible, right? I'm going to want to read that and be like, well, that's going to be awesome. That sounds rough. I don't think any of it was a picnic. Clearly, if you're reading this, you're like, I'm just going to, these aren't going to be my verses for this morning because then I might not make it today through work, right? But in all these passages, and especially the passage we're reading this morning in 2 Corinthians 4, there's something else at play too. And I think it's really big for us to see right now for the days we're living in. The other thing that's in play here in these lists, and especially this chapter four, what I want to talk about today is the way we tend to feel when we look out at our future and see difficult things that might be headed our way. How do we feel when we look out at the future and we that there might be some difficult things headed our way, right And I want to compare that the way we tend to feel with the kind of experience that the Holy Spirit holds up for us to see here in second Corinthians. 4. Thinking about this passage the other day reminded me about an experience I had a few years ago when someone gave me a DVD. Remember DVDs? Little flat things that had movies on them. DVD with a movie on it about Corrie Ten Boom's life. A lot of you are familiar with her. She was a pretty famous Christian author and speaker. She had lived under Nazi rule in the Netherlands in the 1940s And she had actually been sent to a concentration camp because she helped save Jewish people from the Nazis. She wasn't Jewish, but her family jumped right into that important work, and they ended up suffering for it. And so I had a random at a time one Saturday morning, and I decided I would check the movie out. I was like, I'm going to watch that movie. And so I I went down to my basement where the TV was, and I put the movie on. But about halfway through, I had to shut it off uh, because it was totally stressing me out. And the truth was, I actually couldn't take it. And about halfway through the movie, I just had to admit that I'm like, I can't can't take this movie. This movie is like, it's killing me, right? So I shut it off, and I just thought, why would I take a couple perfectly good hours on a Saturday and waste it, stressed about Nazis? Just didn't seem to make any sense, right? So I went and I did something else. But the experience, actually, I thought about it for days. It bothered me why had I been so anxious during that movie? Why was it so stressful? Like I, if you had told me an hour before, like, you know you're not going to be able to take that movie, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have been like, it's a movie. What are you talking about? Of course I'm going to be able to take it. I know all about Nazis. right? Um, but it bothered me for days. It was, I was actually a little embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know, and I thought I'm never going to tell a lot of people about this experience. right? <laughs> but one of the good things that came out of the whole thing was that actually, I did think about it for days, and I began to realize that that little experience I had with the movie was actually a good picture of the way a lot of us think about the future in general, myself included. Watching the movie and feeling all that stress, even though I was just sitting on a couch in my basement, that's all I was actually doing, and not actually going through those things, that experience is actually a lot like what we do when we stress about the future. It's really the same whether we're watching a story or making up the story in our heads. I don't know, you make up movies about your life in your heads? Anybody? Maybe it's just me. And the takeaway from either experience, whether you're watching something stressful or you're watching it in your head, the takeaway from that experience is almost always something like, I could never handle that. Right? That's the basic feeling of anxiety over the future. The feeling that I won't make it When some circumstance happens, that I'm going to be totally overwhelmed. And verse eight and nine of this passage tell us that Paul went through exactly the kinds of things that can make us feel that way. Some of the words he uses right in these verses give you a slice of life for the guy and his friends. You look at verses eight and nine, you have words like hard pressed, right? Life was bearing down on them, feeling the pressure of life, perplexed, he says. The idea there is uncertain. Confusing, not sure what to do. Disturbed, right? Persecuted, he says. We know that Paul faced official and unofficial opposition. He faced just random you know, insults or riots that would kick up when he would try to serve Jesus. Uh, He also faced legal action and jail. Official and unofficial opposition. Persecution, right? And then he says struck down. He literally got beaten and knocked over. And that's what life was like for Paul. And he knew that his future probably had more of that in store for him. And notice each of the words that he pairs with those experiences in those two verses. Those words, the other words that Paul uses, describe exactly the kinds of feelings that well up in our minds when anxiety starts to crop up about the future. Look at the words there. Crushed, despairing, forsaken, destroyed. Right? Crushed, the idea is completely overwhelmed. Nothing left. Despair, totally hopeless, forsaken, left behind, abandoned destroyed is ruined for good. It's not coming back. Aren't those exactly the kinds of things we fear when we fear the future? That bad things will happen and that we'll be finished. We'll be finished. Paul's talking about real trouble in this passage. But scan your eyes over these verses. I want to see something with you that's crucial. It's crucial here. You'll notice as you look back and forth over this passage that there really isn't any anxiety or fear about the future or despair here. Those words are there, right? Those words are there that could unnerve us, but there's actually no anxiety or fear about the future in this passage. And the reason for that is that for Paul, these weren't things he was watching on a screen. This wasn't a movie he was watching or things he was worrying about that might happen in his future. These things were his actual experience. And that's why he wasn't crushed by it all. Now, I know that seems backwards. You would think, I would think, that living through the experience would be more stressful than just watching it on the screen or working through it in your head. You would think that if someone said they were hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, that they would also feel crushed in despair, forsaken, and destroyed. But you see right there in those verses that the word not, is in between both halves of the verse. You see that? We are afflicted in every way, Paul says, but we're not crushed. We get perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We get persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're not abandoned. We get struck down, but we're not destroyed. And the reason why that not is there all four times is because of who God was for Paul and his friends. It's all over this passage. Anxiety and fear and despair are not all over this passage, but who God was for him and his friends is all over this passage. Look at verse 6. Paul wasn't overcome with a feeling of darkness because he had what great words! The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ shining in his heart. Isn't that awesome? In his heart. We can have the light shining in our hearts. And that's more powerful than anything outside of us. There's glory in this passage because Paul had it inside of him. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What did it look like to see, to look into the face of Jesus, even in just ordinary flesh, and see the glory of God? And John writes in his gospel, he says, we saw it. And you see the kind of people it made, those men and women that followed Jesus. And look at verse 7. Paul carried, as I said, a treasure around inside of him. It didn't matter that he was pretty ordinary. It was God's power that he had, and God's message, and God's presence. And that's actually God's answer for how weak life makes us feel so much of the time. Whether it's sicknesses, or finances, or the government, whatever's making us feel weak, God's answer is Himself. We have God. And look at verse 10 always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. So for Paul, serving Jesus meant that life typically looked more like Jesus on the cross than Jesus on the throne. Paul's life looked more like Jesus on the cross than Jesus on the throne. But that was the way God chose to give him this deeper experience. Because of what Paul went through, he knew what it was like to have the life of Jesus himself operating inside of him. Not despite what Paul went through, evidently. It was because of what Paul went through. This is huge. You press on and you stay faithful and you get to know what it means to have God's life working in you. The life of God is bigger than anything else life, our lives that we live, can throw at us. Which makes sense when you say it that way, right? The infinite, unquenchable, eternal life, capital L of God. The life that he's always had, the life that our lives even came out of. That's got to be bigger than the small L life that you and I have to walk through and live. And so if the life of God is in us, We're going to have the bigger thing, right? And so often life tries to make itself look huge, doesn't it? So big, something we could never stand against. But Paul's testifying that a Christian can have the life of God in their hearts, much bigger. And when anxiety tells us about things that might happen in our future, the word of God tells us about the awesome things coming that definitely will happen. Look at verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, Paul said, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you, no matter what. No matter what, Paul says, and it's true for us, Jesus Christ will raise us up and we'll see each other you see the, the the friendship in that passage. Together with you, we'll see each other. Jesus will make everything right. That is absolutely guaranteed. Nothing can stop it. Might be getting that horse ready right now. You know the one he's going to ride down on. That horse might be like, "Let's go." And Jesus might be like, you need to wait like three or four days, man. Just Don't worry. It's coming. And that kind of hope in our hearts will destroy any anxiety. And so Paul says in verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see verse 16? It's true, right, that the world wears us away. Paul's like, yep, I am definitely worse for the wear. That's verse 16. (laughs) Life is taking its toll. That's true. That is not an evidence that God's not with us, that life is wearing us away and taking its toll. A lot of us are shells of who we were a couple decades ago, right? I mean, it just happens, right? But something else is happening too. God is renewing us on the inside. The world breaking down and fading away, doesn't need to cause the Christian to worry because the eternal weight of glory is growing brighter and more solid every day. And what we'll see one day with our eyes, Paul says, right now we're learning to stare at with our hearts so that all the breakdown and decay that our eyes do see fades in comparison with the unfading glory of God and the deliverance that God's bringing. And that's what we learn to stare at with our hearts. Paul's holding himself and his companions up as an example here. He says, this is what we're looking at. And of course, he's doing it as an example for the Corinthians and for us. He says, this is how we can make it through. Christians are always facing difficult days, always. But we don't walk through our days alone. We walk through our days with God. His presence in us, with us, fills our days. He fills our thoughts. He strengthens our hearts. He's literally as close as anyone or anything can be to us. Other people can't. You know that frustration when even the people closest to you sometimes, it's like they can't really get into things with you. They can't really understand. But if you've walked with God, you know that he can. He made the human spirit specifically so that he could have that kind of deep fellowship with it. And he is the most peaceful, secure confident being in existence. There's an author I love, A.B. Simpson, he wrote this sentence, true peace is nothing less than the deep divine tranquility of God's own eternal calm. That's pretty cool. God's own eternal calm. And God generously shares this peaceful calm with anyone who draws near to him. It's part of what you feel when you draw close to God. first experience is Oh no, I'm a sinner. Right, friends? I am in trouble. If you don't know here Christ here tonight, and you've drawn close to God at all, sorry tonight, today. It's tonight somewhere. It doesn't matter. If you don't know Christ here this morning at uh, before nine o'clock, and you draw near to God at all, you will feel that kind of first. It almost feels like an anxiety. I am a sinner. But that's because God's helping you see reality and he will immediately offer you full forgiveness and cleansing because Jesus Christ died on a cross instead of you and rose again because Jesus himself didn't sin, didn't need to die on a cross, but he did in our place. And he offers you that forgiveness because of his death. And he says, I can be the one who died in your place. And you'll feel at first that sense of like, oh, no, I'm a sinner. But God does that to align our hearts with reality and then say, you can have my mercy. Do you want the mercy of Jesus? Dead on the cross and risen again. Who's the Lord? And if we say, yes, I do, then we get it. And then what you feel is draw close to God when your sin is forgiven and and sent away is God's eternal Peaceful, calm. Amen? The world doesn't know about it because the world doesn't know about it. And so they don't have it. And so all you feel in the world is that vibrating anxiety and fear. But not the child of God. Paul discovered that anxiety was a liar. And it gets all its power from the fact that it takes us outside of our present where God lives, and it drops us into an imaginary future without God in the future. I don't know about you, I always think about the future as if it's just me versus the world. You know what I'm talking about? I think that's why you can freak out. But God doesn't live in our imaginary futures or in movies on a screen. He lives in reality, in the present, with us. And he's strengthening us to thrive in the actual situation we're living through at any given moment, that's what God's interested in. You know, that day in my basement, I wasn't living under Nazi occupation. I was just watching a story about people who did and thinking about what it must have been like. God didn't give me the grace to live through Corey Ten Boom's stressful situation because I wasn't living through it. That little thought broke on my mind and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> right? If I had paid attention to the story, it would have been pretty clear to me that God did, in fact, give Corey Ten Boom the strength to live through that exact situation. That's why her story is so amazing. But why should he give that to me, a guy sitting at home on a quiet day? Why would he give me that kind of grace? He's like, your couch looks good. You got a glass of water. You seem like you're good, Brian. He hasn't promised to give me the strength for situations I'm not facing. He gives us the grace to handle the actual day we're living. His presence is with us always to strengthen us to do that actual thing that we have to do today. And as soon as you say it like that, you realize that this is exactly the way Jesus spoke, right? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And of course, sufficient for the day is the grace of God for whatever we have to do on that day. In other words, today is the thing that God takes care of. Whatever I have to do today, God will strengthen me to do it. I don't have to live February of 2021 today, do I? I just have to, what is it, the 6th? That's what we got to live today. So I can wake up, I can seek God for strength, and then I can depend on him moment by moment for whatever the day brings. A lot of days are made up of repetitive, mundane things, and God gives us the grace to handle the thousands of those days that we live through. Isn't that interesting? You're just going to do the same thing for like the 917th time. And God gives us the grace to do that, one day at a time. Some days have extraordinary, difficult things. And when those things come, and that day is my actual today, God is there with us in the moment, giving us exactly what we need to live and serve him, despite it, in it, and through it. We don't lose heart, Paul says. And part of what that means is that we don't give up. We don't let fear make us retreat into paralysis and inactivity. That's what it would mean to lose heart. It would mean to just go lock ourselves in the room and wait for the rapture, right? But that's not what Paul said, and that's not what he did. There are things to do until Jesus comes. The world needs people who are active, filled with the life of God, and ready to say the things that need to be said. People, people who know what needs to be done and aren't afraid to do it. People whose joy doesn't depend on the climate around them people who don't lose heart when everyone else is. It is pretty amazing that there was one person that God did abandon. He faced a stressful situation. He sweat drops of blood, it was so stressful, and he asked God to avoid it, didn't he? Isn't that crazy? Lord, could I not have to go through this? And then, God did not. I don't understand how this works. The father was not with the son somehow. My God, my God, he said. You know the verse. He actually went through that. Why did he do it? So that you and I never have to. We will never utter those words because the perfect man did. And he willingly walked through whatever that was, whatever it felt like so that you and I will never have to and so then he says what never will i leave you never will i forsake you that's hebrews 13:5 never so that we may boldly say the verse says hebrews 13:6 the lord is my helper i will not fear you know the rest of the verse what can man do to me what can man do to me Psalm 27:13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Isaiah 40:29. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We are only pots made of clay. But God's word is powerful and trustworthy. And he will not leave us. And that will make all the difference. All the difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us always. Lord Jesus, we praise and honor you for being willing to undergo the abandonment that we can't even think about. And therefore, we'll never have to face, Lord. We praise you, Lord Jesus, the victor. And we praise you, God. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for being with us to strengthen us, Lord. Fill us. Teach us, Lord. Strengthen us and lead us forward. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.